You're listening to Getting It On with James and Heather. I'm Heather Dawn. And I'm James Gay, giving you the best in health, love, and relationship advice. Ask us your questions by calling us at 310-845-6095. Or you can email us at hosts at thejamesandheathershow.com. Let's go get it on. Let's do it. We're here today with uh, Bridget Fetacy. Yes, welcome. <laughs> uh, Playboy blogger, advisor. Um, what else are you? You're a comedian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You write a couple different columns. I do. Yeah. So you're talented. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get carried away. <laughs> um, but Lucky. really, we're interested about uh, you know your substance abuse history. So yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Well, so I'm today's topic is sex, <laughs> love, and substance Start, abuse. Yeah. <laughs> We're not interested in your successes as a blogger and advisor. We want to know about the drug issues. Hey, that's <laughs> a huge part of why I am where I am, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as James was uh, saying, sex, love, and substance abuse. Bridget Fetacy. Yes. Please share. Hi. <laughs> Experience, strength, and hope. Um, I, I, what do you want me to share? Well, what kind of what brings you to this topic, why it's important for you? And yeah, addiction um, and recovery, I have a long history with those things. So mm-hmm. I come from a long line of high-functioning alcoholics. I'm an Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, I do stand-up comedy about it, actually, how when I got sober, my family sat me down and they had a reverse intervention. Oh, boy. <laughs> they were like, we're Whoa. worried about you, Bridge. What's you got a drinking on? problem, and the problem is you're not drinking. <laughs> um, so it's definitely in the culture that I came up in. Yeah. And we were all happy-go-lucky drunks. Um, I started... As opposed to the violent, abusive kind. Well, yeah. there are that kind. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the nasty drunks. Um, so I, came, I started drinking when I was 12 and wow. then was smoking weed pretty much daily by the time I was series like acting up sorry i hate mm. these things they're like always listening oh siri yeah she just turns on <laughs> randomly that's Your why i was getting siri distracted yeah, on, yeah. <laughs> she's like back off siri jesus <laughs> so needy boundaries we're talking yeah. about substance abuse <laughs> siri's and like family it's <laughs> siri's like the whole siri's universe like, listen up golden eye all right um, yeah, so I started at 12, and then at 13, I was kind of smoking weed daily at that point, and it escalated through my teens, but stayed, you know, in the realm of, I would say, normal teenage alcoholism and substance abuse, and mm-hmm. then when I was 17, uh, I graduated and became, mm-hmm. I got a PhD in drug <laughs> abuse. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> And started doing, like, the harder substances after I, I was drugged and, da- like, it wasn't even a date rape. It was, like, a guy I had known from a restaurant I was working in. Mm. And I, um, after that, my drug use escalated. Mm. And then a year later, but basically a year later, I was in rehab for heroin addiction. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. It all, yeah, it was a pretty fast trip to rock bottom that first go. Right. 
Well, and it sounds like it ramped up in a way to cope with that trauma. Yeah, I think it's pretty common. Yeah. I mean, I, th- yeah. I I remember in rehab, and I don't know what the exact statistics are, but something like mm. 95% of women who mm. enter into rehab have some kind of sexual trauma somewhere. Right. It's like whether it's being molested or whether mm. it's mm-hmm. being raped or whatever. There's some something some in their history. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the majority of women. Mm. And I'm not sure if that's because the majority of women have had something like that happen to them or if right. that is like a, a coping extra. mechanism. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. A, a friend of mine once had said when I said, hey, how's your dating life going? He was mm. single for a while and he was just like, well, you know, she's really great. But like every woman I seem to meet, everyone's got an Uncle Schmecky. He, yeah. called, he called it the Uncle Schmecky story, mm. which was that, and he wasn't like making fun of it. He was just saying, why does it seem like every single woman I meet? Because literally, I mean, mm. nine out of 10 women, I would say, have something, mm-hmm. you know, some somewhere, something. Right. Well, and so often it's someone that we know. Yeah. It's someone in the family. It's a friend. The president it's a of the United States. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> just grab him by the pussy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so so you develop this coping mechanism of using substances to deal with sort of a internal response to that kind of trauma. Then it sounds I like, huh? I think I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I think I was always in the, I, I think I was always I had a personality uh, always. Yeah. I've always had the I waking up and feeling like I'm fucked mentality, which yeah. seems to be a common thread in yeah. people who are who are. Um, in recovery, I yeah. feel like you wake up and you're like, I'm fucked. They call mm-hmm. it Radio K fuck. It's like uh, you wake up well. and there's just this like doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. And when I was young, there's a lot of examples. I remember selling Kool-Aid and I would drink all the Kool-Aid and then go lie to my parents with my lips blue. Like, no, no someone mm-hmm. stole it all mm-hmm. as I ran around on a sugar high. And when I was 10, I was thinking about this the other day. I got... um two pounds of gummy bears hmm. from my f- godfather uh-huh. and I'm the oldest of five and I didn't want to share them so I locked myself in my dad's office ate and all. ate all of them oh my and god. spent my 10th birthday puking. Oh, oh my god. So oh. that behavior was there. The level of secrecy. Secrecy. Yeah. Hoarding lying, gummy bears. Hoarding. Yeah. Like yeah. all yeah. of that stuff that you sure. do when you're an addict. That behavior was right. puking on a birthday. Right, right. That was a prem- it was a preview <laughs> coming yeah. attraction. Well, you sort of mentioned it was sort of running in the family yeah. in many ways, right? That there's there can be a, a genetic component, there can be a cultural or a social yep. or a, you know that 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 you see this in your environment, so you learn to cope with it in that way. Yeah, I know that I just I know I'm different in that sense mm-hmm. that I have friends who can say I'm going to have two beers and mm-hmm. they drink two beers and mm-hmm. they have a glass of water and then they stop. Right. Yeah, that's me. And I don't do that. That I, mechanism just that does. does not, not yeah. it's like I don't know if that's a gene. I'm not sure I buy into the idea that it's a disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I've always had issues. I like the concept of it being an allergy. Oh. It's almost like hmm. um, which is something that I've heard where you just basically I- I'm allergic to it right. somehow and it just once I start drinking, I can't stop drinking right Wasn't there Allergy that was discovered with the Native American or the uh, Asian population as yeah, related they, to alcohol. They have a different tolerance. Yeah, they, yeah I, th- think I think they're I think like there was an actual allergy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that my allergy would be Irish. <laughs> no, I, it might be genetic. I just have yeah. a high tolerance. I d- it's like I, I have wooden, you know, people always used to say you have like mm. wooden legs for a little girl. There's just yeah. no way I should be able to drink what I was right. able to drink. So I was born genetically with a different mm. ability to process booze. Well, and that's one of the clear cut signs of some sort of substance use disorder is this level that, that, that we build tolerance towards that substance and we need yeah. more and more of it or something different in order to reach the same kind of high. Yeah. I mean, that's why so many drug addicts, when they, uh, they, when you hear about a lot of, I think like Janis Joplin, I'm mm. most of the people you hear about who OD, they are mm. coming back from being sober. Right. So what happens is they think they have the same tolerance that they right. had when they quit and yeah. they don't and it kills mm-hmm. them. Yeah. James and I were talking about that uh, before you joined us. We were talking about that. How yeah. it's like, oh, I can just do this again. I can do the same amount I did before, right. but it's been weeks or months or right. years, right? right? And yeah, it has a different yeah. impact on our body. So the, the other, um, you know, identifier for a substance use disorder is uh, withdrawal, right? Mm-hmm. That without the substance, there's some sort of physiological response. Mm-hmm. You know, alcohol being the most dangerous Alcohol's detox, bad. Um, uh, harsher and more life-threatening than heroin. Yeah. Although tobacco still wins when you're looking at the uh, death rate from addiction. Oh, tobacco has four, about 480,000 uh, uh, people dying a year from tobacco addiction. Uh, you know, some of the stats we saw was like 88 for booze and right. uh, 17 for opioids. But, um, yeah. you know, we were also saying how we think the opioids are a little bit off. Um, but what wasn't listed in there was uh, a substance abuse with marijuana or hallucinogens, mm. even cocaine. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, there yeah. were like, because we were looking in the diagnostic manual, mm. the medical manual. Uh, and they were listing all these sort of death facts of, of certain substance abuses. But there was nothing, you know, you know, there was like no death rate listed with marijuana abuse and there was no death rate listed for I tripping out on just, acid. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone thinks they're going to die when they take an edible. <laughs> 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 but they don't. <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> you have that moment where they you're wish like, they were yeah. dying. <laughs> <laughs> take me to the emergency. My friend has a really funny tweet and he says... Every story I hear about edibles, it's like not feeling anything, not feeling anything, not feeling <laughs> anything. Please take me to the emergency room. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it well, is well, so it true. depends on what you're digesting, of course. Yeah. Because <laughs> GHB, along with other kinds of substances, can be really, really dangerous, but also very common, especially in the gay male community, you know, that sort of wants to sort of have these circuit parties and b- have a sense of belonging. Right. And you know, a, as a way of coping with societal oppression for our sexual orientation or gender expression. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's one of those things, too, I think, as we're, you know, talking about sex, love, and substance abuse, yep. you know, that the, those things interact. They do. Yeah. Yep. And I think when you're looking at addiction, I think it's pretty clear, because you were saying that there are people who can stop it, too. I know I'm one of those, and, mm. uh, you know, and you know that you're not, as you have said. And I've come across that even with clients, mm-hmm. too, you know, when clients are like, well, what should I do about this diet or this program? And I'm like, mm. if they're new clients, I'm like, I don't know. I need to see what your patterning is first, yeah. mm-hmm. because I know what I can do with who I am, but sure. I don't know who you are yet. So I don't even throw out recommendations mm. until I get to see you know, do they gear more towards addictive or compulsive behaviors or not? Because right. then it's a completely mm-hmm. different program. So yeah. what do you do for those people? So for people that are addictive or compulsive, you actually have to have a complete cessation. So for people who aren't, I'm just like, make it gradual. 
Um, for people that are, I'm just like, okay, you have to like completely stop. You're going to be totally unhappy for a little bit. Yeah. And you have to be willing to sit with that. And then we work on meditation. We work on mindfulness. We work right. on embodiment. Ways to sit with the discomfort S- differently. Ways to sit yeah. with the discomfort. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, but they are very different programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, everything I've quit, I've quit cold turkey. Yeah, you have yeah. to. When you have an addictive personality, there's no, oh, I'm going to try to do this. Yeah, I didn't do, I didn't even do methadone, which they mm-hmm. offered me in rehab. And I was like, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. It just seemed mm-hmm. like, I mean... I know that brain chemistry-wise, it's supposedly better for you to taper off the mm-hmm. heroin addiction, but I just went cold turkey, and mm-hmm. I ripped the Band-Aid off. But I'll tell you, I remember that kicking it like it was yesterday still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if there's ever a moment where I'm like, oh, I could, I would just kill myself if I started using heroin again Ugh. because I wouldn't want to ever have to, like, kick again. Go Ugh. through that. It yeah, was it's horrible. It's a visceral Yeah, experience. no, it was yeah. the worst. Yeah. It was, it, I still remember it. It was, like, almost 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I'm glad I, I gave myself that because mm-hmm. it was a such a visceral experience mm-hmm. that I have that, memory. those muscle memories. Yeah. yeah of like, that, that's not something I want to go through. I want, I would, I will do everything in my power to avoid that, which is why I got sober mm-hmm. three and a half years ago because I right. started really thinking like, oh, mm. heroin sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And that was uh, a big yeah. red flag. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I love about um, one of the phrases in 12 step is, is play the tape for. Right. right. I it's love like, that. Don't just think about the high and the pleasure and what you get out of taking the substance. It's like, okay, then what happens next? Right. You know, what happens for I your say family, that to people your loved ones the next morning? Who aren't in recovery. <laughs> totally. Even people right now who are freaking out online about everything that's going on, I'm like, uh, play the tape forward. Right. You really think, like, they'll be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, just before you, like, start panicking, play yeah. the tape forward. You really think that we're going to descend into, like, concentration camps while you're making these compare? Like, yeah. there's, I, I, always, <laughs> I, I, I worry, like, I just think that, you know, there's a lot of things you can compare, but also mm-hmm. it's like play the tape forward. We're, mm. in a, we're in a different place. You know, it's interesting that you say that and just to segue on to that for a moment. And I would say normally that I would agree with you. But I think when you're dealing with somebody who we all, well, not we, I'm not going to speak for everyone. We're half the population and most of the global community, uh, half the population nationally, most of the global people, <laughs> um, see someone who's in charge who is clearly mentally um, ill. I mean, he is mentally ill, right? And then you're worried about us descending into Nazi tracing. You're like, yeah, but there's someone who's in charge who's mentally ill. Right. So I can see where a lot of those fears would be coming from. No, I understand the fears. I understand it, but I don't know. But do you really think, and, you know, like you, I'd be like, logically, rationally, no, checks and balances, but that's assuming that somebody who's in charge is not mentally ill. Well, and and we're, you know, going back to the topic at hand, you know, part of what I hear you saying, Bridget, is that, you know, if we're sort of playing the tape to the end, we're recognizing if we're catastrophizing something, we're recognizing if, you know, something is a a negative consequence that we would prefer to avoid up front and not actually take the substance, Right. right? 
So yeah. regardless of our president and whether or not he's mentally ill or giving people who are mentally ill a bad name or, yeah. you know, just fucked up. Right. <laughs> you know, as it relates to substance addiction, we need to, to look at the impact of our use on our lives and the lives of people that we care about. Well, and I think there is like a certain amount of ad- like in in terms of being addicted. I wrote about this recently, just being addicted to doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like this nihilistic tendency. And I I see that as myself and as a society Mm -hmm. and as a, I mean, I've always kind of joked that I think Mm -hmm. humanity is like approaching rock bottom. Yeah. And so now I'm like, oh, (laughs) maybe we are (laughs) right (laughs) as a society approaching rock bottom. But Uh all of my rock bottoms have been good for me. Uh And so even if I do play the tape forward in Uh my own life, I have to be careful about uh, I have to. I have to guard myself against thinking that I know too much. Mm-hmm. That's and stay. You know, whenever we're so, there's the balance of playing the tape forward and seeing the consequences of our actions, but also understanding that mm-hmm. there's so many other. Mm-hmm. You are really only responsible for yourself and your mm-hmm. actions, and mm-hmm. that is all I can do. All yeah. I can do is be be cognizant of my behavior. Mm-hmm. I have control over my attitude and mm-hmm. my behavior. And that's it. Right. You can lead everything a horse else, to water. You can't make them yeah, drink. Yeah, everything right, else right. outside of that, I can freak out about what's going on globally Correct. Sure. and use that as an excuse to self-destruct. Right, right. And I see that in a lot of people around me. Can't get out of bed, depressed, yeah, yeah. victim. Bl- I mean, there's a lot of negative. thinking every, that can lead to. Yes. Right. And I heard a great Buddhist teacher say that every single thing that we hate about that person mm. is something we hate about ourselves. It's like a projection of our and own so we sort have of shadow to look material. At, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The yeah. shadow is being brought to light. And yeah. I think that is a big part of recovery and addiction. Yeah. For me, looking at my shadow, looking at my defects of character, mm. really getting honest about what what my responsibility Mm. i always say this too in terms of um you know i'll see a lot of people being like uh the worst case scenario this person Mm. is the worst case scenario (laughs) and then hashtag the bachelor and i'm like "Eh, Mm. you can't (laughs) do that you know you know you can't you have to take responsibility for your role in your addiction Uh Um, i think it's easy because like i was saying on the show that you a lot of people go into blaming Mm. Just blaming, 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 blaming their parents, blaming society. It's blaming. easy right. to do that. I'm oppressed. Sure. I'm more oppressed than you. I right. see a lot of the oppression Olympics. Uh-huh. You don't yeah. and calls it. <laughs> right. It's like you're not. Olympics. Yeah, you try and drag the other person <laughs> yeah. down, and yeah. then there's all this white guilt. It's like it's you all don't insanity. know what I've been through. You're right. You're right. And I I've went through this. Through anything. Yeah, <laughs> I went through this when I was in rehab because I was mm. the only. It was like oranges and new black when I was 19. I was mm. in a state-funded rehab. 20 years younger than probably anybody there. Mm. I was the only white girl. Mm. And I basically felt like, oh, I was spoiled and had too much. That's why I was an addict. Mm. And I felt guilty about being, because the stories mm. that they had, we came from very different socioeconomic circumstances. Mm. However, the counselors were these really hardcore lesbians who saved my life. Mm. And they said, you know, you can always use this, the people are starving to distance yourself from your own pain and your own experience. Mm -hmm. And it was a way of me not having to deal with it. And I still Uh, see myself doing that. I'm saying, and I see it a lot too in our kind of oppression Olympics where it's like, oh, they have it worse than us. So it's a way of kind of deflecting your own responsibility for your pain Mm -hmm. and your own Mm -hmm. pain, sitting with that pain. Right. And 
I think that a day. I think our pain our comparing. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Wound comparing bonding. to our own detriment or what do they say? Compare and despair. I mean, yeah. social media. That is like. That's it, what it's all about. I think. Yeah. Oh, and I think that I really believe that they're really. It's find me a person who isn't addicted to something right now, <laughs> and you'll find me like a monk in uh, in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard. Even social media. They, yeah. If you look at the studies on what the dopamine hits we get every time we refresh, uh-huh. we're rats and we're rats in a cage. Well, no, we're really. we're habitual creatures, right? And it's very easy to sort of get um, attached to various different behaviors, substances. Um. And develop cravings and, you know, uh, uh, that we feel like, again, all different ways of coping with uh, kind of a crazy fucked up world. Right. You know, and we can... But we can is use, it, you know, I mean, it's crazy well, and fucked up, but right now in this and moment. It's, and it also contains a lot of love and hope. Right. And there's a lot of things what to you be grateful for, on? right? Right. It's both and. Right. It's not either or, right? right? So to, to incorporate all of that, to deal with the fucked upness and not to ignore it, but also to not obsess or overindulge in that place. Exactly. Is actually part of recovery, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, I, I wrote something for The Fix about... Basically, how I don't have the luxury of mm. being in resentment. Resentment mm. is yeah. one of the primary things that drives me to drink in uh, my experience. Yeah, and so yeah. I had to move really quickly from being uh-huh. during the election cycle and whatnot, from being in anger and resentment uh, yeah. and to a place of acceptance. And a lot right. of people had issues with me. They're yeah. like, How are you just so accepting of this? I was yeah. like, I don't have the luxury. Like, I have to be I in have order for to my be recovery. I have acceptance huh? yeah. of what is yeah. in order for me to not drink. Because right. I will drink over this. Right. I will drink over anything. I drank because it was Tuesday. Right. Yeah. And, so your, and your level of acceptance, I'm assuming, is also not saying it's okay in the sense of, like, it doesn't, we, we don't need to, you know, resist. But it's accepting that this is w- what we're dealing with right now. I believe <laughs> I'm also deeply spiritual. Mm. And that comes from... I've studied a lot of meditation and Buddhism and Buddhism is like all suffering comes from lack of ability to accept what is. Mm. And yep. most of my Hands use down. That's what I teach. Yeah. <laughs> most of my use comes from mm. an, a refusal to accept what is, right. whether it was right. my internal condition or an uh-huh. external condition. Yeah. I realized when I got sober, so much of my use mm. was tuning out the, what you were saying, uh, the crazy world. Yeah. I couldn't, I didn't even want to look at it. Right. I, I, Sometimes I'll pull like an actual geographic, and mm-hmm. when there, that shooting happened in Newtown, uh-huh. I got on a plane and went to Sri Lanka. I was like, uh, I can't even look at this. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't. So I'm always, I'm a runner. I try to escape. I'm mm-hmm. not like mm-hmm. one to. I was trying to think. You were saying how resentment was your thing. Uh, hopelessness is my thing. Right. Mm-hmm. If Nihilism. I, if I, if, yeah. If I get caught up in any kind of mm-hmm. cycle, whether it's from a breakup or, mm-hmm. um, you know, pursuit of a career or a job or anything that starts to make me feel hopeless, like yeah. I have no power, um, that's the thing that would make it hard for me to get up out of bed. Or, yeah. you know, I'm not a cigarette smoker, but if I occasionally want one, um, it's either because I've had a bunch of drinks and everyone's smoking one, I'll smoke one, or it's because, like, man, I feel so hopeless, I might as well just start smoking. Right. <laughs> um, so hopelessness is my thing. Resentment Which is doesn't fear, bother me. really. You know? Powerlessness. It's not feeling like I have a sense of control in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, they Which develop... We don't. We don't. Right. <laughs> we, behavior so, and yeah. attitude. Yeah. That's yeah. It. In my youth, maybe there was a point where I thought maybe I did, and then you sort of grow up, and for some of us, you really don't. And I think some people do, by the way. I think yeah. some people have more control than others. But 
um, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's just the way it is. Oh, Life I happens. I understand that. I mean, I write I wrote about this and one of my election ones was like the minute that I'm on that train to none of this matters. <laughs> the train mm-hmm. to none of this matters. I'm, it's like Talk about hopeless. <laughs> I'll give you credit, but that's a great phrase. It's like I'm I'm fucked. You know, the minute yeah. that I'm I'm the minute I'm in that place, I know now that I have to get out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah. And it's like gratitude yeah. instantly. Yeah. That was me post breakup two years ago with my surprise breakup which was so horrific for Mm. me the way it was done how it happened um you know where I was in my life and I said to myself I think I'm completely off path Mm. and really what started to get my headspace out of it was one um, again I had been meditating at that point at least you know close to do two decades so I was able to sit here in despair I woke up in despair I went to bed in despair Um, my body was getting injured because of the despair um, uh, you know, I would talk to James about it. I would talk to other friends about it. I knew exactly what was going on, and I realized I had been stuck in a bad dating pattern for close to two, three, maybe even a mm-hmm. decade, mm-hmm. Uh, but at least from my cognitive awareness, many years. And I woke up one day, and it all ended. And to me, it was like everything had ended. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was very fascinating for me because I had a birthday that came up about a month or two after that, and um, and I saved the box, but one of my students had come into class um, and uh, wrote on the box, um, you know, like you b- you bring so much to people in this world, mm. or thank you for yeah. for Sweet. being you, or something. Because I was sitting here going, I have no purpose, mm. I have no moment, I have no. You needed yeah. that yeah. reminder. I was in your train. <laughs> I w- yeah, mm. I was totally in that train, and so these little reminders would come along, mm. where people would be like, you know, I you said something to me uh, two years ago, and it remembered, and I'm like, what mm. are you remembering what I said? And I know. And so there were moments of light. Yeah. Um, and then also just allowing myself to sit in the yeah. despair and witness it and go through it. And it was extremely painful. Mm-hmm. But then eventually I slowly came out of it. But it was not fun. Like, matter of fact, you talked about, you said this in the beginning about coming out of your heroin addiction and that it was the most difficult thing that you still remember today. And as I'm dating now, two years later, that breakup was so fucking painful to me and I had had maybe two more serious breakups prior to that, that now when I move into dating and meeting people, um, as much as I really want to find the person I will forever be with, and it is like number one priority for me, the pain of having another breakup like that Mm -hmm. is still so viscerally and emotionally with me Mm -hmm. that as I'm assessing if this person is worth my emotional investment, I think about that pain, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. leaping into this moment or a couple of months of dating this, knowing that this could be the potential, I cut it off immediately, right? Mm-hmm. When I when I see the You're signs, spooked. I'm totally spooked yeah. because right. I can't go through that pain. Well, yeah. You want to touch that hot stove again? Yeah, You're like yeah. More cautious because it was a pattern I uh-huh. saw, a ten year pattern. But yeah. at least you're sitting with that. I mean, one of the things that they wanted to medicate me when I was in rehab, mm-hmm. they were like, "Honey, you're depressed." I was like, "Yeah, I should be fucking depressed. Yeah. I'm 19 years old. I'm yeah. in rehab. Right. I just <laughs> came out of a heroin addiction. I have a boyfriend sitting in the bushes out there stalking me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I've there's lost a lot of reasons everything. To be depressed, yeah. yeah yep. Sometimes you know, there's a great book. Um, Oh, Care of the Soul. Have you ever mm. read this? I, I highly I recommend like it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. all about how the gifts of one of the chapters is the gifts of depression uh-huh. and how we we need to go through these periods of solitude and yeah. not feel that. You know, I always need say that anxiety is like a marker for me when I'm mm. when 
when something's not right. Yeah. I used to think that it was just free floating anxiety. Now mm. I know that it's something is like I'm lying to myself about something mm. or I'm in in a situation that I shouldn't be in or I'm lying, I'm being dishonest or, or mm. somebody else. Now I can tell this now that I'm sober. I couldn't. Mm. Someone else is coming with a lot of their own anxiety uh, and weird up energy. On it like or, I can yeah. now I differentiate. One, I got yeah. one more from you. One more for that. And I'm with you because I suffered from anxiety a lot. Um, I used to have panic attacks as a kid. I mean, it was bad. And I would say this to add to what you just said. One more thing anxiety teaches me is that anxiety comes in, fear comes in as to rescue and protect. So what is it protecting for me that I don't want to feel? Mm -hmm. So when I get a whole hit of anxiety, mm -hmm. the other question, uh, including to what you said, I said to myself, is there a grief or a, a, a real feeling? Because to me, fear is like a deflection of a feeling. Yeah. Or it's keeping you away from a solid feeling like mm. love or grief or anger, which is very clear cut where I don't find fear to be as clear cut. So if fear is coming in to do what it does, which is fear is a protection right. mechanism. Right. What if is something's it, a life threat to you, what it's is it protecting me from mm -hmm. inside myself? But right. sometimes it's excitement Correct. that you're just mm -hmm. perceiving Correct. as Fear. anxiety. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that's another question that my very brilliant yoga instructor taught me. Is this a fear that's keeping me alive or a fear that's keeping me from living? Ooh, and I loved question. that. Great you know, question. because there yeah. is some there is legitimate like, oh, that's a rattlesnake. Right. I'm afraid. I need yeah, to yeah. feel fear <laughs> yeah. in this moment so I can <laughs> jump out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> oh, this is just an old wound yeah. that I'm carrying around like right. a handbag. And now yeah. I'm and that fear is not real. It's not in the yeah. present it's moment. It's just been activated. But so many right. times I think, you know, that this is the beauty of being present mm. for me in sobriety mm -hmm. is that I'm sitting with those discomforts instead of medicating right. them, which was my pattern yeah. for 20 plus years. Well, so it's it, it sounds like in many ways recovery for you has been sort of learning to be more intimate internally with yourself, with mm -hmm. your thoughts, with your feelings, with the, the with the other stuff, people. With other people. Yep. The stuff that doesn't feel good, the stuff that feels great, but you know, can get out of hand. It's yep. right. And so our feelings are often a call to action. They're often sort of a, a, a litmus test as to what's going on in our environment that we need to pay attention to. There's another great book, um, Letters to a Young Poet by mm. Rilke. That, oh. that and he says in it you know, trust life, life mm. is always right. Mm. And it might not be what we want, but mm. it's uh, always but that's right. Not the which question. Is, yeah. Which <laughs> is which is why I love, you know, that practice for me mm. is I have to apply that to myself and I yeah. apply it because in sobriety I had so many things come at me. I got mm. skin cancer, I got rear ended, Ooh. all these challenges wow. came up yeah. that A made me really earn my sobriety. Hello. It was like do you try about fire? This? Yeah. yeah. And also just accepting that just because I'm sober now doesn't mean mm. everything's going to go great. In right. fact, life life, life is always right. <laughs> and these things that I don't necessarily want to happen are yeah. happening. And I have to apply that globally to mm. some. Mm -hmm. I'm only as spiritual as I am in acceptance. Mm. Like, mm. in my opinion, that's mm -hmm. what I've come to realize. Yeah. Whatever level of that doesn't mean that I can't fight for change and I can't sure. make changes in my own life, yeah. which I have. But I still have to be at some level of acceptance about uh -huh. that which is and trust right. with certainty that yeah. it is unfolding the way it should. Yeah. Because in my life, my rock bottoms were the best things that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. The yeah. best things, the biggest lessons, the right. hugest light always comes after these massive 
You know, when you mm-hmm. deal with that shadow, well, when you're in the shit like that. Well, there are opportunities for growth, for mm-hmm. learning, for change. And, yep. you know, we're going through lots of those kinds of societal, cultural yep. rock bottoms. But all and of this stuff is coming to And hopefully we can learn, to too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you, it's not something that, it's uh-huh. kind of like all the shit that came out. You know, yeah. they say if you want to know why you drink and smoke, quit drinking and smoking. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's uh, the thinking. And yeah. so in the same way that. All of this stuff right now, societally, mm. that's coming to light. I do the racism, the sexism, that the misogyny, not, not the homophobia. There. Yeah, it, it was, was there. Uh, yeah. And now we can't turn away from it. Yeah. It's like when an addict hits rock bottom. Yeah. I really think, in some respects, I, re- I see so many parallels between yeah. what's going on in our society and mm. an addict that is hitting rock bottom. Yeah. Totally. Just yeah. all of these things that were kind of in the darkness and right. they're the in, in the psyche and uh-huh. they were causing all of these bad habits. Yeah. And that you know, drinking those are symptoms of something uh-huh. deeper, like you said, coping mechanisms. Yeah. And I see it on a societal level too. Yeah, and I think yeah. that we're being forced to reckon with a lot of that mm-hmm. psychological pain that right. we've kind of been just masking. Yeah. Ignoring, denying, minimizing. Yeah. It's a roast it's a post racial society kind of bullshit. We have to <laughs> fight for mm. like I had to fight for my sobriety. I also mm. see now I'm fighting for democracy. Like right. we have to fighting for social justice. The things right. that we believe. Yeah. You know, and you're not gonna do that when everything's cozy. Right. No. Right. That's like I was saying, I say this to my students a lot, which is like nobody likes suffering. We spend our whole life trying to avoid suffering, but suffering will inevitably show up to your doorstep. Right. And then your next question is, after you say, okay, this is what it is, mm-hmm. now what would you like to do with it? Yeah. Right. Because and thank you. Yep. Right. It, it's, it's the only thing that's going to make us grow. We spend our whole life trying to avoid it. Uh, it will inevitably show up. Now what would you like to do with it? And you don't mm-hmm. grow when you don't suffer. No. That's very, very true. That's where we, that is, I mean, my rock bottoms have been the most painful and hard things and sobriety this one in particular was probably the hardest thing Mm. i've ever done in my Mm. life on a daily basis but it's also the best thing i've ever done and i see the most tangible i feel like i'm a better version of the best version of myself that i could be yeah and i didn't feel that way right ever so here you are now you're this playboy advisor you're a playboy blogger you're the fix you're Extremely successful, very talented comedian. Uh, you had one heck of a journey. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, if if somebody's dealing with substance abuse or you think they're partners, what would be your advice as someone who's been there, done that, um, you know, has come through, has seen the light, you know, uh, you have all this wisdom that you're sharing. Uh, what would you suggest would be, you know, good treatment options, a way to approach things, uh, so on and so forth, to get healthier and to get help? Um, well... I tried a lot of different things. Mm. And so I, I've i had to come to acceptance for myself that abstinence and a program mm. are the only, um, seems to be the, the, it has been the only thing that, that's helped me achieve long-term mm. sobriety. And honestly, I was so resentful of the fact that I had to be one of those people. No, I was yeah. like, fuck this. For like, the first uh, two years, I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah. groups Well, that's that bargaining stage of grief where right. you're like, well, maybe if I just do it this way, I can right. keep some aspect of it. <laughs> but honestly, as yeah. things have gone down that have gone down in the past year, mm. I'm so grateful I have a community and a program yeah. Yeah. because I can apply it to anything going on in my social life. Support. Social support. And, uh, it's been so key. important. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And I feel bad, actually, for a lot of the 
normies, quote unquote, <laughs> who don't have something where it's yeah. like, oh, get into action. Call yeah. three people that might need help. Get yeah. in gratitude. Yeah. Get out of resentment. Write a fear inventory. All these, mm. they're tools. tools, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say that um, if you, generally, if you're asking yourself, if you, you know, only you know, but I think that if nobody shows up at a like meeting or rehab is rehab is a great place to actually dry out i would Mm. say it's a great start if you're really in the thick of it and you feel like um because once you leave the doors of rehab that's when the real rubber meets the road and it's like i say getting sober is one thing living sober is a totally different ball game yeah and you need i needed support a a lot of support and i say it takes a village i needed Outside help sure. from the program. I uh-huh. have a therapist I talk to mm-hmm. weekly. Mm-hmm. I go, I would, acupuncture is a good one. I get the it's little great ear. for withdrawals. Uh-huh. Yep, it really helped me when I was detoxing in particular. Yeah. They, I learned about that when I was in rehab. They had them come give it to us free because yeah. I was in like a state-funded rehab. Yeah. And then I went and got it this time when I got sober. And um, You can buy the little stickers online. Oh, wow. Amazon. Yeah, I didn't know <laughs> that. You can actually buy them on Amazon. And they do help. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Um, so there's a lot of treatment modalities. Yeah, you know, there's for lots some people, of my ex- harm reduction. Yeah. For some people, moderation management. There's a new one called for Smart others, that I was reading right? about and kind of like, maybe I can do this. And it's moderation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been like yeah. thinking about trying it. I'm like, no, you can't do that. I right. know I can't. Yeah. You know yourself. Yeah. You know it's, yourself. About so you have it's about being clearly, truly, utterly honest with yourself, right? And if, you know, uh, yeah, if, if. You know, signs are like blacking out. Uh-huh. If you're blacking out a lot. If right. you feel like your life is unmanageable, if you're waking up feeling demoralized, yep. if you're hurting people in your life, right. if you're lying a lot, there mm-hmm. are big signposts. You generally know when yeah. you're when you've got a problem, right. even if you don't want to admit it. Right. And I think the fir- the really the it is tr- so true that stupid old like the first step is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> it, yeah. It's the biggest step. awareness. Yeah. yeah, it's key. Because you yeah. can kind of hide that from yourself for a long time before it. Because you, once you take that, you know, admit that, you yeah. have to do something about it. Right, right. That's why I think it takes so long to get there. And if yeah. it's somebody in your life, um, I've also been in relationships with substance abusers. And like you were saying, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm. My advice to people who are in that are always go to Al-Anon or some kind of program that mm-hmm. helps you. They have very specific tools for mm-hmm. go to therapy, learn, take care of yourself. Right. And if it's really bad, you might have to get out of that relationship yeah. because that person will not get better because you want them to. Mm-hmm. If there's anything I can totally. tell you about being an addict as an addict, I didn't get better because anyone wanted me to. Right. Ever. Yep. When, in fact, when people wanted me to, it only pushed me farther the mm. defiance in me was like mm. I'll, I'll mm. you know you drink at I, I drank at people like mm-hmm. I'll show you uh-huh. yeah I drink at people revenge yeah. drinking yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. and so I think that that's really if you're in that relationship accepting that mm. nothing you say or do is gonna be able to make that person mm. come around they're right. gonna have to come to that on their own it's funny when you're saying that I'm thinking about myself as an enabler and a codependent mm-hmm. and so um you know, you say that from that angle, and I say to myself, when I go and meet new people, um, especially if I'm going out on dates, I immediately see, you know, and look for, mm. is this person addictive, or do they mm. have illness that I'm going to try to go in and fix mm. and save? Mm. And if mm. I see that, knowing what I am, 
um, I always walk away. Yeah. Yeah, it's about know knowing thyself. our limits yeah. and setting boundaries with people. It's a, it's about taking personal responsibility for our health and well-being. Yeah. Right, and right. recognizing that if you do have codependent tendencies, to oh, yeah, work definitely. on those. You yeah. know, work on, instead of just veer, steering clear of those, you know, you're going to keep bringing those people into your sphere, I think, as well, long as you're... for me, though, it was making sure I don't get back into those relationships right. thinking I'm stronger than I am. Right, <laughs> right. right. So that is me handling my codependency. Right. going, oh, I realize I'm codependent and yeah. I'm an enabler. And so now that I know what I am... I can immediately see when I've been meeting with someone what they are. I can go, oh, cool. I wish you the best of luck with whatever this thing is you're doing. Mm -hmm. I hope you heal. I hope whatever. uh, Feel free to reach out with me. I can't date this. I know. I get involved with, like, really toxic narcissists. Yeah. (laughs) Narcissist is one of my things. Oh, yeah. Mine, too. Yeah. (laughs) Anything I could fix or save. Yeah. Yeah. And I was strong enough to handle it, of course. Oh, yeah. And this is the thing, though. It's like. (laughs) <laughs> this th- this is the thing though. It's like even if we're with someone who's on the healthier spectrum of things, you know that 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 pull to over empathize or take care of mm-hmm. or that codependent nature of living through their experience or attending to their needs and ignoring our own, you know that material also needs to be, you know, worked through. We yeah. need to sort of heal and grow regardless of the person that we're with. Yeah, the correct. People that we're with. And they right? say if you want to see your blind spots, get in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> brings totally. all of that up. Yeah, to the front. exactly. Yeah. It <laughs> brings all of it out into uh, the surface. Yeah, so yeah. I just got two roommates instead. <laughs> <laughs> Same like thing. Any so form of yeah, relationship, exactly. right? So true. <laughs> yeah, roommates. Yeah. Um, where can people find you? Um, Bridget, Bridget, Fadget, Fadget, T-A-S-Y is how you spell that word that I made up. Um, <laughs> and at Bridget Fetacy on Twitter and all social media and Bridget Fetacy. It's all across the board. Bridget for my show is when I update it, which I haven't in a while, but um, <laughs> I will. And right. of course, uh, Playboy. Playboy, just the, yeah. um, just the tips. Yeah, I have uh-huh. a podcast with my um, partner, comedian Ken Gar. We talk about um, our own issues and relationships. We're both. It's called Benched Podcasts, and mm. we're. It's on iTunes where uh, we talk about just being benched <laughs> in relationships, yeah. and yeah. we have people on as guests, and they talk about where they are in their their relationships. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I'm in the Playboy m- magazine in print now. Yeah, congratulations! The that's yeah, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so that's where. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, this is the second time we've had you on our show. Uh, we got started last year. We're in our second year, and we loved you so much and love having Thank you. Thank you for we having had me. To have I you love back. coming. You Absolutely. guys are great. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Interesting <laughs> conversation. Right. Always. Always. Hello. And we learn so much from you, and we love hearing from you. Uh, yeah. I think last time we talked about slut shaming with you. Yeah, I uh, love that. That's yeah, a great that topic, awesome. too. Yeah, I need uh, to bring that one back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> slut shaming, that is. <laughs> I don't think we get shamed enough <laughs> <laughs> anyhow check us out on uh, www.thejamesandheathershow.com yes and you can look us up on social media as well we're uh, James Heather SHO on Twitter the James and Heather show on Facebook and uh, yeah listen awesome. to our podcast and watch our videos talk to you soon bye bye